Welcome everybody to another episode of the MotoGP podcast, Last on the Breaks. And here this week, as we told you across social media, as we asked you for your questions, we have Prima Pramac Racing's team manager, Gino Borsoi. Welcome to Austria, Gino. You've Thank made you. it, I've made it, my suitcase and luggage has not made it, but we're gonna make the best of it and hopefully have a good chat with you. <laughs> so. We were talking a bit there. It could be a good weekend for you and the team. It's quite exciting. Everything about this season is quite exciting. But before we talk about the now, I think a lot of people who are already super fans, who watch a lot of the broadcasts in whatever language, really, you're multilingual. You come on our Not feed. Not really multilingual. Uh... <laughs> I'm sure you talk plenty to Sky Italy and a lot of our different broadcast partners. But for people who don't know you, where did your kind of interest in bikes begin and where did your career start? Because you didn't start as a manager, did you? You started on the bike. Yeah, right. Uh, I started as a rider. Uh, actually, my first season was uh, 92 on Italian Championship. This was the, the real start of my career on, on, on bike. Uh, my father have a shop of bike, so we have the bike inside our blood and and from 1992 I started Italian championship and then I move up from Italian to European and then I arrive at the world championship uh, 97 so really long time here in our paddock <laughs> it's not <So>. that long <laughs> but yeah and then obviously from there you had some great success as a rider as well we also have a few fans asking you on social media and the first one from Instagram. Normally we do this segment at the end, but a lot of our questions this week are ones that a I lot, would ask. A lot, so people know me. This is people know you, you're okay, this is Mr. Great. Worldwide. <laughs> no, come it on. can be Pitbull or it can be Gino Borsoi, <laughs> you know. Um, but no, so from Instagram, we had one question from JMG 96 Sorry if I've said that wrong. How did you decide to be a manager and end your career as a rider? So obviously, that's always an interesting topic. Some riders decide when is their time. Others may have maybe their results drop off and it's a bit more difficult, maybe injury problems, things like that. For you, where did you decide to, to end that riding career and what was the best moment of it before then? Well, honestly, this is a nice question. No, at the end of my career was uh, uh, 2004 and that time, uh, was in front of a hard decision for me to, to stop my career and, and move forward as a owner of the team or manager of the team or really move away from our world. And well, at that time, uh, I decided to, to move forward as a team manager because uh, you, you feel, you really understand that uh, you are not uh, fast maybe enough to, to get uh, an announced result. Uh, when you are a rider, uh, you want to really fighting for something good uh, and you understand that your speed is not there, uh, it's time to, to move away uh, because we are, when you are a fighter, no? you like to, to mm -hmm. fighting at least for nice uh, podium or to get podium, you, you don't see that uh, it's anymore your target because uh, younger are coming, uh, your career it's at the end of the, your story. So this this is, was the, the time to to me to react 
uh, to understand my, my future and to, to keep a decision, a hard decision to stop my career and then uh, continue on this world uh, because it's, it's my life. And of course, uh, when it's your life, you can continue to give to this sport much more, not only as a rider, also on the management because you have the, still have the mentality of the rider. You understand how the rider are happy, what the rider need. Uh, and for, for us, as a, let's say, a old rider, <laughs> no? uh, sometimes it's a bit easy to manage uh, the, the rider inside your garage because you know what they really need. For sure. Obviously, we've heard that, well, not we've heard that a lot, but that seems to be a common theme with a lot of people who were a rider and then move into team management. It gives you a unique perspective, but obviously there's more to the job than I know what the rider thinks. Yeah, for <laughs> um, sure. It's a very complex thing. You've got to be on top of so many different things, a lot of things to balance. Of course. This is the easy part. <laughs> of the manager, no, team manager world because you know you was a rider so as I said before it's easy to understand what they need but then becomes hard because you need to learn a lot of things, uh, uh, money side, budget side, uh, how to manage the guy inside the garage, uh, your technician so at the beginning it was not easy honestly uh, because you have to learn a lot of things in a really short time because uh, my season was 2004, then the season, the season later uh, after was 2005 uh, as, as owner of the team because uh, at that time, the last two years of my career, 2003-2004, was a rider and also owner of my team. So at the same time, and it was too much. How was it managing yourself? Oh, I think Lucio also did yeah, that, Lucio, didn't he? Yeah, uh, Lucio is the king of the, <laughs> <laughs> of the manager and right at the same time, uh, actually it was my, let's say, my target, you know? <laughs> uh, right to, to, at the same level of Lucio at the time was one on one of my target because for me he's one of the best uh, manager of the, and owner of the team uh, inside the paddock. So, well, as I said before, it was not easy at the beginning, uh, but uh, beside me, I was, a, I was able to find uh, really nice guys, really nice person, uh, where they teach me how to approach uh, this, this new adventure, and the time helped me to, to improve my performance also on the manager side. That's such a kind of sport competitive mindset still isn't it you may not be on the track anymore but you're still like okay where can i improve where can i gain where can i do this better do you think that is the main thing yeah for in sure. the whole paddock almost for sure is the whole that mentality this is the mentality that you have to need you have to to work on it uh, as a rider uh, always i want to try to to give all my offer uh, effort to to the teams to the riders and to find a way to fight for the podium, of course, fight for the, for the championship. And what I try to transmit also to my mechanics that uh, we, we have to keep concentrated all the time and uh, we have to give 100% every time or our So you've mentality. gone for 100% because it's kind of a thing in MotoGP and in motorsports to be like, I've given 110%. 
and then the next person will be like, I've given 120. Uh, no, yes. let's give 100, 100%. <laughs> 100 is kind of the most you can. <laughs> no, you cannot, but 100% it's more than enough because during the season it's not easy to keep 100% all the time. Because as you know, we have a long calendar of, uh, of, uh, of races and um, sooner or later you are tired, sooner or later you make some mistake, uh, especially on the mechanic side because they have a lot of work to do during the season, during the day, especially here in MotoGP uh, where they have to bike. Uh, we have to, as a Ducati team, we have to make uh, uh, a lot of changes on, on the bike, uh, move engine from Friday to Saturday, so it's quite a complicated system and they have to keep the concentration all the time. It's not easy. At the beginning, yes, and uh, also result helped you to keep uh, the atmosphere nice, but then when you arrive uh, from the middle to the end of the season where the calendar becomes difficult and, and complicated due to the to the race or overseas races, so the situation inside the garage is difficult to manage, and then as where my job starts to, to <laughs> That's where the become, human side yeah, of the job the is human really side, important, right? right? Yeah, because I mean the flyaways are pretty, it's an interesting situation, isn't it? For me anyway, I always feel like it's great because it's really nice that there's like this group of people and we go just to the other side of from where the majority of the paddock or a lot of the paddock is from. Obviously, we have a lot of Japanese, Malaysian. They're just like, great, finally, <laughs> we're somewhere near where we're from. Um, but there's this smaller group of people going from A, B, C, D, just making this kind of happen. But then the other side of it is it's also kind of crazy when you think about it compared to a more normal job where you go to yeah. one place you go home and everything's yeah yeah it's not it's not easy to manage honestly because uh we are a small town you know but at the end of the day we yeah, are we fighting have... together exactly. so we 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 have to to stay sometime three weeks in a row out of my our house uh they have no family and when they come back at home they have the, the problem that the normal family have during the during the season, and then are nervous because then they have to start again for the next for the next stop, and uh, and they come at the paddock with a family problem. They are nervous, and there where I have to talk with them, try to keep the con the concentration, the situation under control. So honestly, it's nice to see from outside. But then when you are here, you start to understand how difficult it is to work inside the paddock and how difficult is the work of the mechanics. It's, uh, it's really interesting. It is. Actually, it is I intense, think we have to, no? to make a, a podcast. The uh, yeah, right, <laughs> yeah. it's true. No, never mind the riders, you need to follow a mechanic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yeah. the people know, no. They think yeah. they are, they, the, the job that they have to do during the weekend is not, it's not quite easy, but uh, they know what they have to do on the bike, but it's not just the work on, on around the bike. It's the atmosphere, the connection between them. This is the most important thing to keep the, the, uh, the results there, because if you don't have a nice atmosphere inside the garage, you cannot even think about the result of the race. No, exactly. So, I mean, yeah, intense. Lots of positives as well, though. Especially when you win races, as you. <laughs> uh, well, as, uh, at the moment, obviously. only two. So, uh. <laughs> but 
Yeah, it's it's an interesting balance then, isn't it? It's almost like there's every emotion in life all within this small space and this small sport. And it's about always finding that balance, enjoying the positives, coming back from the negatives. I mean, they're all a little bit cliche, but you know what I mean. But let's talk about the team now then in your role now. We've got another question here. We've got a couple more about this. One is from Instagram again. It's from this underscore Handry. How does the team find the best setup every race week? So from your standpoint, Whoa. you're obviously not the person mainly doing that yourself, but that's part of everything that you're responsible for, finding that setup. You've got Jorge and Joan, quite right. different riders. Well, de depend what uh they asking for a setup, setup of the bike, setup the mindset of the rider, setup. I, I think of it the means setup of, of the, the bike. Oh, uh, well, this that's is just. Well, this is something that I don't need to think uh, about really much because uh, this kind of setup I already decided from from home, from Ducati and, and the chief mechanics. They are. That was going to be my other question because obviously you are. I tell you, what, what would you call it? The, you're the official independent team of Ducati almost. Yeah. You're like the first <laughs> of the now impressive armada of Ducatis that we have on the grid after obviously the Ducati Lenovo factory team. Um, but what do you get then in that role? Because obviously that you, we know that you share data and everything else. You have a great bike from the factory. What, how does it work between Pramac and Ducati and that collaboration? Yeah, as you say, we are a satellite team, but also we are uh, the only team with a factory bike. So the, we, we need to share information. Actually, we share the information between all the Ducati teams, but the information between us and factory team are really even more important because the bike is exactly the same. So we are all the time in discussion how to approach the next race, uh, what we need to test, uh, and what they are they are in, they want to test uh, uh, during the next race. And we share the work uh, during the weekends. And then after the first day on Friday afternoon, normally we sit down again and we try to understand which is better, um, which uh, kind of setup is better for the track. And, and like this, we are able to, to approach even better compared to Honda and Yamaha of the weekend because we analyze a lot of data. Uh, we have a lot of data. And for us, on Friday afternoon, same time, we are not really far away for what we need for, uh, for the setup of the race. This is what seems from the outside that if you had to race pretty much immediately, yeah. the Ducati is really like ready. out the box, go. Let's say ready. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I mean, that's this is one of the key of Ducati of this season, of course. It's, it's been quite a journey to get to that point, though. Obviously, here is where Ducati were back on top with that Ian Ono win. What seems like now a completely different era almost. But you've also worked with independent Ducatis before. What are the differences that you've seen now? Can you give us well, any insight into this incredible? Well, compared to 2011 and, and 10, when we worked with Ducati at the time, uh, when I was with Jorge, of course, or Jorge Saspar. I was going to uh, say, you need to specify Aspar now, because people uh, would be like, wow, Jorge Martinez. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, you have to specify <laughs> yeah. Jorge Martinez Aspar, right? Which is, let's say, 
still uh, my, my family because after 17 years with them, so uh, they are my family too, uh, where I, I, I had a lot of great moments. But at that time when we, we were with, uh, with Ducati, uh, if I have to compare uh, that time with now, well, uh, it's quite different. Honestly, uh, we are much more involved on technical decision. Uh, we have much more, let's say, uh, information from Ducati bike. Uh, as I said before, is a factory, so much better than compared to that time. And uh, technical side, uh, well, it's uh, it's incredible how Ducati improve uh, all the small detail to be fast all the time in, in every in every track so uh, i cannot even compare that time with now okay well <laughs> yeah. it does seem like that obviously from the outside as well it's incredible what's been built yeah and it must be pretty cool for you in your position now to be part of that as well because obviously it is a contribution it's not like oh all the customer teams quote unquote are just like oh thank you for making that you've had a really central role in creating it as well? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure, because at the end of the day, as I said before, all the information that we receive during the weekend help Ducati factory and not factory team to be fast uh, from the beginning. So we are all together and we are all part of the result of Ducati. And then you've got to watch Aspar race with gas gas and just try and <laughs> <laughs> deal with those loyalties. Well, uh, but no, going back to that era then of your career, we got another question from Twitter, yeah. or X, hurts me to say that, Twitter, from Moto fan. What's the biggest differences between managing a MotoGP team versus Moto2 or Moto3? So they've, they've really specified here what they want to know. Is it the relationship with the sponsors, a close relationship with the manufacturer, having to find more money, or a different approach by working with more mature riders? Well, from my point of view, I there is a big difference between Moto2 or Moto3 and, and MotoGP, because at the end of the day, uh, uh, we have two wheels, one engine, one rider, so uh, <laughs> the, the the real basics. Yeah, yeah the are. real basics still <laughs> still there, still the same. So, well, much more demanding MotoGP in terms of interview, like today, for example. Yeah, sorry, uh, we know you all. Much love more these. money and involved <laughs> on it, of course, uh, and, uh, and then much more people watching our races. So, it seems uh, like more important but it's not from my point of view, because at the end of the day, Moto3 and Moto2 are the starter of the rider. And uh, if they are, if we don't have this category, we don't have even the MotoGP rider. So we have to pay much more attention on the rider when they are, they are young, in Moto3, Moto for example, where, where you have to give all your tips, where you have to help them to improve their career, to have that, the correct mindset when they arrive at the track, because then when you arrive at the MotoGP, the, the mentality of the rider, it's already created, it's already enough strong to be, let's say, uh, fast and good all the weekend. So it's quite different relationship that I have right now with my rider uh, compared to the rider when I was 
with a sport team. So this is one of the biggest difference uh, from the, let's say, Moto2, Moto3 and, and MotoGP. Then sponsor and connection with the uh, guest. I mean, it's, it's quite similar. I was a bit more happy, honestly, before with, uh, with Aspara because I was much more involved on technical decision uh, because now we have Ducati behind. They think about that, so... Yeah. So now you, not, you've got to let that bit yeah, go. <laughs> they have much more experience than me, so they don't need me. <laughs> but it just still hurts that little bit. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I, I think everyone can understand that. But, so let's talk about your riders then, a little bit at least. So Jorge, this time Martin, not Aspar. Yeah. Obviously race winner in the Premier class and, well, already this season as well. And it was here that he took that rookie win as well, so it's a good stage. He's been a very interesting rider since he got to MotoGP. How is he to work with now? Because you've got a real contrast of Joan Zarco and Jorge, where Jorge is like explosively quick, trying to walk the perfect line 100% of the time, whereas Joan will be like, well, let's build up, let's find the rhythm. That's how it seems from the outside. Is that how they are? To yeah, for really the perfect description <laughs> of my rider, so you don't need me. <laughs> Can make a podcast, no, I want to know what it's alone. like. It's, <laughs> it's fine for me to say that, but what is that like no, to manage? Because you know, it's also interesting when you're in the same team with the same goals in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, it's like this, and honestly, I have two completely different approach between them. So, Jorge, I need to, to stop. I need to discuss deeply what we need, what we have to do during the weekend, because he always thinking to to start stronger and fighting all the time from the podium and sometimes we know that is not possible so I have to, I have to keep calm then and uh, on the Sarko side uh, with Jorge though sorry to interrupt this year though that seems to be going very well yeah 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 second overall yeah Silverstone actually a great example sent wide early on maybe do you think Jorge before could have got too annoyed at having been pushed out and then ended up crashing, but he actually took some really good points and came back to six. Actually, it's what he did on, on the past. No, he's a talent rider, he's an amazing rider. He has incredible speed, but uh, what we, we miss, what he missed on, on the last uh, few seasons was this uh, good mentality to, to finish the race even when the, uh, you don't have the perfect scenario around you, when, even when you don't have the tough, perfect setup uh, with the bike. Uh, so it was, was pushing, pushing all the time to try to achieve the, the, the podium. And, and when it was not possible, fall down. This is not good when you are you have to fighting for the title when you want to really... I was wondering if you're going to say that. I was yeah. like, go on, go on. Yeah. When you're fighting for the championship, because... Yeah, yep. of course. <laughs> when, you wanna, when you have to fighting, you want to fight for the championship, you have to work in a different way. When it's possible, when it's possible, okay, you have to fight for the podium when you for the race, and when it's not, you have to bring back to the garage the bike and get the maximum result. And this is what you, you, he realized this season, and actually it's something that we discussed at the beginning of the season, from the beginning, that now he has an experience, he has enough experience to do that. 
he was a uh, more three world champion, so he know how to manage the situation. Then you have to keep this mentality and use the same mentality this season when it's possible. Okay, you have to try. Why not? Okay, let's bring back the bike. It's enough because at the end of the, the season, you have this kind of point in your pocket, and then you really think about the the championship. Otherwise, you just throw away, and you can have an injury. And when mm. you have an injury, especially this season, when we have two races in one week, three thousand points in right. two weeks in so Asia as well. You yeah. understand perfectly <laughs> yeah. the problem. No? So exactly. um, on the Zarko side, uh, uh, also I had a nice meeting, and actually we talk uh, quite often. Uh, during the weekends, but before the weekend, and uh, we start to to understand how to approach the next race, uh, where we are, what we are, what we achieve uh, from the beginning of the season uh, to now, and I'm really happy because he did an amazing job uh, from the beginning. He followed what uh, I asked him. Uh, he followed my my tips and also. He followed the, the idea of the, the, the chief mechanic. So he, he started to, to believe much more in himself. He know he have a, a great uh, team behind, uh, people that trust really on him. So he becomes stronger and stronger. And for me, we can see even more from Zarko's side. He's not arrived at the top. And from now to end of the season, maybe be careful because he can <laughs> be there for something, for something really nice. There's official Pramac prediction. Yeah, there of course. I have no doubt about he that. He is considering, obviously, he was the first person to defend the intermediate class crown since Jorge Lorenzo, I want to say. Did Lorenzo do it? Yeah. Mm. When he won Moto2 back to back, obviously, the first did it in Moto2. He's had some amazing races in MotoGP, pole positions, podiums. It seems so just unlucky is maybe not the word, but unfair that he doesn't have that win. Do you think that's a yet? Oh, well, he's everybody. been at the top level so much longer than a lot of other riders who maybe retired with two, three, four Premier Class wins when things came together on their day. Well, everybody talk about that and I want to put much more uh, pressure on on Sarko. Well, I don't say it for pressure. I say uh, yeah, I'm like, I think like he deserves if it. If we are talking you know? all the time about his when he <laughs> came in the ne the first win, sorry. winner race, uh, okay. when when everybody asked me about that, and I said, hey guys, uh, it's uh, it's something that we have to build up step by step. I, d I don't know exactly what happened in the past with Sarko and his, uh, his, his guys, his uh, teams. But now we know, I know where he are and where he can arrive. So let's, let's give us a bit more time. And well, it's I also <laughs> funny because like, it was not that long ago that an independent Ducati had never won a race. And now it's like, why haven't you all won at least five? It moves quickly, doesn't it? So it's, you know. But for me, no pressure. That's no, no. Okay, thank you. Then. So we have me, an operation. We have an operation from. For me, from it's, a, it's a celebration of Jean's talents and yeah. what he's done up till now. That I say, it feels like he does deserve. I will be the first yeah. guys in the paddle to be really happy <laughs> when when I will see 
Johan, we'll see. We'll remember this moment if if we see you of on course. that pit wolf, that first Sarko I call win. you. <laughs> <laughs> Please. So obviously, then, like you say, we're, we're nearly done now. We have one more fan question, but it's quite a direct question about next year. And I also don't want it to seem like it's a question against Jorge or against Johan. <laughs> but it is an interesting jigsaw, though, that we have in MotoGP now, especially we've seen plenty of headlines recently with KTM, Gas Gas, their five contracts, four seats. As it is at the moment, we have obviously eight Ducatis. You guys have two factory bikes. The factory team have two factory bikes. Then you've got a really interesting newer project in Mooney VR46 with their riders who've also come through like their own separate cantera almost with Valentino. Right. Sorry to English people. That literally translates as quarry, which does not make sense for us. But um, and then eight bikes, so many fast riders. Everyone wants to know whether Bezeki is a future mover and shaker. And Nea is an interesting one, obviously, after he's had those injury problems this year as well. Jorge versus Anea last year, that was an entire thing. You still have factory bikes. You're second in the championship. It's just all an interesting conundrum. So our question from Mura Kuitzi on Instagram, is it possible for Bezeki to join Pramac? But I want to add as well, do you still think that this normal path that we saw before of Pramac, then official Ducati, then stay there and then buy? Do you think that still exists? Do you think that, what, how do you see this? Because there's so many good seats and so many good bikes. Well, the, uh, the most important thing that uh, even for next season, we will have two factory bikes and this is the best option for us. Regarding Bezeki... So you, you're keeping that second tier, yeah, like, yeah, yeah we're the right. next ones. <laughs> which, which, is, which is for us, uh, let's say, uh, the best option to keep the factory bike because uh, if you have factory bike, everybody want to come to our, to our garage. Our no, this, so including? This, including <laughs> Bezeki, of course. Uh, and, uh, well, let's see what's see now is not uh, in our hands. Uh, he have to decide, uh, well, with Ducati, of course, uh, what he prefer, what he like uh, to stay with uh, uh, VR46 or, or come come to our guys next season, which for me is one of the the best option for sure, and I'm will be really happy if he will be part of our our team next season. But also on the other side, we have a great team with uh, with Sarko and and Jorge. So uh, if we will keep like this, I'm happy. In any case. I'm really happy. I'm sure. So we're not going to see any showdowns in pit lane of Pramac well, and VR46 squaring up, trying to. I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I cannot. I cannot talk about that. Uh, maybe you have to discuss uh, with with uh, Ducati this kind. I'm of sure we will. <laughs> situation, but uh, apart of that, I mean, uh, I'm I'm happy with my my guys. So if we will stay like this, uh, it's a perfect scenario for us. Well, it certainly seems like it. And congratulations on the Germany win. Congratulations on the incredible season so far. Sprint wins as well. You're in that yeah, club right. this year. And yeah, let's see this weekend. If anyone's listening or watching this before the weekend, we'll see. Should be a good one for you. Jorge so. did win here. Could be even more interesting this time next week. Let's see. But thank you so much, Gino, for joining us. And uh, yeah, best of luck this weekend. Thank you for a great moment. <laughs> Thanks. Talk soon. <laughs>